Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures. Connect with students from around the world and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Well, good afternoon and welcome along to The Profile with me, Justin Briley. It's that time of the week here on Premier Christian Radio and on our podcast when we meet a Christian leader in some walk of faith and life. And you can find it online at premierchristianradio.com slash the profile. It's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine and you can read more interviews with leaders in all walks of life there as well. Get your free sample copy at premierchristianity.com slash free sample. I'm Justin Briley hosting The Profile this afternoon and it's my pleasure to be introducing you to Steve Uppel who leads the All Nations Movement. It's a multi-ethnic network of churches and ministries and since 2001 he's been lead pastor of All Nations Church in Wolverhampton. It's a growing multi-site multicultural congregation and Steve is also the author of a number of books including Rouse the Warriors, A Prophetic Call to Advance the Kingdom and the 40-day devotional book Highly flammable. Uh, Steve was actually born into a family with a Sikh background. He's going to be telling us their story of how they came to Christ and his own journey of life, faith and ministry so far. So Steve, welcome along to the program. Uh, really good to be with you, Justin. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's an absolute delight. We met uh, at Spring Harvest this mm-hmm. year and uh, that was really lovely to be able to share the stage. And I only got a short time really to hear a little bit of your background, but now is the chance to sit down and really oh, hear well, it. I full. really appreciate the invitation and I enjoyed listening to some of your stories and what you do oh. uh, so I really appreciated that at Spring Harvest well uh, it's great that Spring Harvest you know starting at that point uh, is really I think seeking to, to reach a wide audience mm. um, people from different backgrounds different sort of uh, passions so mine is you know apologetics and that sort of thing through Unbelievable I think yours well we'll, we'll hear about it really in, in the course of this uh, is really about reaching the next generation and, and doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that's yeah. really what comes through in, in, in your writing um, but take us back to the beginning. Um, your your family is from a Sikh background originally. Yeah, so, I'm so a Punjabi Indian. Mm. Um, my, uh, I, I go right back. My grandparents were farmers and their grandparents farmers in India in the state of Punjab in India. Mm. Uh, my dad's dad, my granddad, moved over to the UK uh, in the 50s. I don't know if your listeners will be aware, but they used to post adverts in the newspapers in India. They did it in Jamaica as well, looking for workers mm. to come to the yep. UK to help in the factories. And so, you know, it was almost like the promise of a great life in <laughs> yep. the UK. And so my granddad came over first and the family soon followed. I think my dad was eight when they came over. Wow. Um, moved into Wolverhampton. There was extended family there as well, cousins. In my a dad's large cousin Sikh population in yes, that area. I, th- yeah, I think today Muslims. probably over twenty thousand yeah. um, Sikh families in uh, tw- not families individuals yeah, in Wolverhampton. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like we would know, they were just trying to make their way. They come over, they get yeah. a job, they're going to find all of that kind of stuff. Struggling with the language, struggling mm-hmm. with the culture, leaving the culture that they knew, but somehow trying to build it in this mm-hmm. new place. Mm-hmm. I guess in the midst of that, my dad, as I listen to him now telling me the story, started to feel, he would say, an emptiness on the inside of him. And he thought to himself, I'm going to learn Sanskrit, which is the language that the Guru Granth Sahib is written in, which is Mm. the holy book for Sikhs. Mm. He said, I'm going to learn that. I'm going to read that book for myself. And maybe I'm going to find something that will satisfy this deep longing in my heart. It was in the era where, you know, him and his friends would get drunk, Mm. go out, and they would beat up skinheads. Racism was a big thing. So uh, I won't tell you all the stuff that happened there. But in the midst of all of that, there's this deep hunger in him for something more than what he's experiencing. In the midst of that, I think God orchestrated circumstances 
and uh, I'll give you the, the short version. He knocked on a, uh, uh, he walked through a door uh, that had all these Indian posters in different languages, uh, a tiny little shop, and he thought it was a language place. Mm. He walked in, there's a white man sitting behind the counter, and my dad said, I, I want to learn uh, Sanskrit, can you got any literature? And the man said, no, everything I got is about Jesus. <laughs> and it was actually a little Bible bookshop, and it was a missionary from America out here in Wolverhampton, wanting to reach um, Asian population with the gospel. My dad wasn't interested at all, but left his address and details at the request of this missionary. And a few days later, that missionary's wife knocked our door, spoke in perfect Urdu. We speak Punjabi. Urdu is very close. They were missionaries in Pakistan and in Nepal. Um, but, you know, short story, hour and a half later, both my mom and dad were kneeling down in the front room committing their lives to Christ. Wow. That was 44 years ago. Um, and my dad and mom became radical followers of Christ. I mean, it was a true conversion. It was just like God's timing, hunger in heart, searching for something. This lady shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and my, both my parents commit their lives to Christ. So I was five weeks old then, and I've been raised in a Christian home ever Gosh. since. Wow. That, that's just an extraordinary story. It is. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess you don't often hear stories of, of where it's, it happens like that. Boom. You knock on the door. An hour and a half later, people yeah. are giving their lives to Christ. But it, it can happen. It does happen. Yeah. Or if uh, you hear it, sometimes you think, well, how long did it last? Yeah. Well, my parents a few years later got thrown out of the home that they were in mm. because of their faith in Christ, were homeless with two kids. And the whole story is just God's miracle, providence, and caring for our family. Mm. But I see his hand in all of that over my life and uh, changing the whole trajectory of our family. Obviously, I mean, I'm sure, as you mentioned, that comes with challenges, you know, because obviously you're part of this Sikh community. Mm. And obviously by committing to Jesus Christ, they're sort of saying that they're committing to something different. And obviously that's going to have consequences very often. Are you, do you sort of... How difficult is it in your experience to reach people from that Asian background, the Sikh background in, in where you're ministering? I, I would say, well, I have, I have a couple of perspectives on this. I think if the church in the 60s and 70s, the, the, the church here in the UK had been more open, they would have found people who were coming in far mm. more open to the gospel. Mm. But I don't think we saw it as an opportunity to share our faith. My dad tells me the story. He said after he gave his life to the Lord, there was no church. Those missionaries hadn't started the church. Mm. So he went to the closest church at the bottom of the street. Nobody spoke to him. He sat on his own on this pew. They were all afraid of this Indian man who just walked into church. And my dad promptly never, well, he decided never to go back again because of the lack of warmth. So I think there was an opportunity, like there is today, Mm. with people who are coming in from other nations. We've got to see them less as a problem and more as an opportunity Mm. in these big changes in their life. They're more susceptible, open to the gospel. And that obviously ties in perfectly with what you're doing with All Nations. Um, To what extent do you see people from those kinds of backgrounds coming into your own church today, Steve? Uh, well, All Nations today is more than 50 nationalities. So it's a w- very, very widely diverse group of people. And uh, what I found, and answering your question, your mm. previous question as well, is that people are very open. Mm. And even though it's difficult to leave any culture, mm. the, the British culture, mm. um, the Sikh culture, the Muslim culture, the Buddhist culture, whatever it might be, if they really encounter Jesus... It's their faith in Jesus that kind of sustains them Mm. through the difficulties of uh, relational challenges with family, persecution that might happen. And so for Christians, it's important that we, I don't know if they understand this phrase, if it's used widely, but um, to birth people correct. Mm. We're not trying to get them to become members of a church. Um, We're not trying to get them to attend on a Sunday. We are introducing them to the Savior. Uh, who's still alive, still touches lives, and if they know him and meet him, everything changes. And, and in that sense, we're not asking people to necessarily completely abandon their cultural background. Oh, They're, no, 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 no. You're, you've still got that in your in your DNA, yeah. in your ancestry. Yeah. I suppose it's just that you, you see that as all having been fulfilled in Christ at some level. Yes, yes. I guess the challenge is my cousins who mm. hadn't committed their lives to Christ saw, uh, if you like, their... Indian culture mm. and Sikhism is one thing. Yeah. They don't separate the two out. Mm. So if, you, if I was ever in a conversation as a 14, 15-year-old with Sikhs, they would say, have you stopped being Indian? 
there's this confusion around, are you rejecting the whole culture? And I would have to say, no, in my home, we still eat Indian food. My mom and my sister still wear Indian dress. We still are hospitable and respectful. And there's a lot of the culture that is extremely um, enriching and it has helped my life to be a far Mm. better life. So we don't reject any of that, but we now worship Jesus. Would you say that, obviously, your family background being a Sikh one originally helps you personally to reach other people who are Sikh? Because I suppose you've got more of of a shared sort of sense of, of what... Yep. God means to them in their context and how to reach them in that. Yep. Well, I think what it did, not just with Sikhs, but helped me to understand uh, different cultures. And mm. I guess the church mm. has done that, whether mm. it's African or Asian cultures or European cultures, to see people as people and to start to realize that there's a deep need in every human to know God. And how do you make sure that a church doesn't do what happened to your dad, which is we can't handle this, someone with a different skin colour from a different background suddenly walking into our church. How do we create churches that are genuinely welcoming to people of all nations? I I think we're going to teach that. Mm -hmm. Uh, As as a leader, I've got to practice that. No Mm -hmm. favouritism. Everybody's welcome. Um, In fact, just sitting on the train this morning, uh, I'm sat next to a a young girl. Uh, I'm guessing, what she told me her age, uh, late 20s. And she's drinking. I mean, I'm on the train at 7.30. As in drinking alcohol? As in, like, there's a beer, there's a wine, and there's another can of beer, three of them. Mm. And she's swearing, and she's going for it. And I have to see past all of that. So Mm. whatever the culture is, Mm. and she started to open up a life and tell me what she's going through. She had tears in her eyes, and she was like, I'm glad you don't judge me. Everybody judges me. And, and I guess people just want to be seen for who they are and to be loved for who they are. They're not a project. They're not mm. a target to become mm. a Christian. We've got to genuinely see them as people that God loves mm. and that we may be able to help them by mm. being a friend to them. And then, yes, I want to share the gospel because I believe it's so important and it could help the person. So I got to pray with this young lady this morning. Wow. Um, and, you know, I, I gave her an email address that she could contact me on because she wasn't that coherent. So <laughs> I thought it might I mean, not everyone's train journey into work kind of <laughs> ends no. with, with doing a prayer with someone. I mean, do you find those kind of situations just come up naturally? What's... I suppose you can't manufacture these things, but no. what, what's going well, on? If I'm absolutely honest, I'm a pastor of a church. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking it's just my luck to be sitting next <laughs> to somebody who's really loud, um, very offensive. I mean, every every other word was very right. offensive. And probably swear drawing words. attention on the carriage. Yeah. yeah. And everybody on that train is looking and, and she knows they're looking. Right. And she's drinking. She goes, well, what's wrong with drinking this? And yeah, I, yeah. I'm just, I decide, Lord, help me. I'm, I'm whispering in my heart, help me to see the person past this offensive yeah. behavior and that's that's the key isn't it because so often i think the not the natural thing to do is head down let's yeah. pretend this person yeah. and i wanted exist. to do that and that's I'd a natural reaction some work to do yeah. i was going to catch up on some email and i had to park all of it for the first 40 minutes or so because she was on the train yeah. and god's basically given you an opportunity yeah. every it's, it's, it's always a question of whether we see these things as that's a problem or that's an opportunity yeah, absolutely but that's a culture yeah. that she's been raised yeah, yeah. in she told yeah. me i've been raised in a council yeah. flat yeah, and yeah. people you know all kinds of stuff but really no different to mm. a different faith yeah. a different culture you got to see past that to people everyone's got some kind of a background absolutely that you need to, to see yeah. past and, and speak into Tell us a little bit about your own journey then. So your family had become Christian, your mum yep. and dad, uh, you know, you were only five weeks old. What, what, how did Jesus come alive for you, though, yourself? As so you were my, my dad, he was so radical in his <laughs> faith. He would go to every meeting that was going, uh, nearby cities, had specials, he'd go, conference he would go, church he would go. Mm. And and with me and uh, my sister, uh, he would just tell us Bible stories um, all the time. Mm. And my dad actually tells me I was two and a half years old when I first prayed a prayer with him to invite Christ into my life. I don't wow. remember that, no. but I'm guessing he told me so many times that mm. I did do it. Yeah. But I do remember at five years old, um, I, I was on my own in, in the room upstairs. I'd been sent to bed early for something I'd done wrong. I don't know <laughs> what I'd done wrong. And uh, every time I put my head on the pillow... It, I I thought, well, we lived in a house with all the extended family up mm. until I was seven. So five years old. And my mom and dad have one bedroom for themselves and the two kids as a cot. And I slept right. in the same bed as mom and dad. So I'm in this bed. Uh, but outside in the hallway are pictures of the Sikh gurus. Okay. So I'm imagining, as mm. I put my head on the pillow, footsteps and these gurus coming to get me. I'm scared. Mm. 
I didn't realize it was my heart beating at the time <laughs> that I could hear. So I slipped out of bed and I prayed some kind of prayer. I still remember doing that. And I made a commitment, Lord Jesus, I've heard about you. I don't know exactly what I said, but I invited him into my life and asked him to take this fear away. And even at five to say that I will live for you. Mm. So very, very childlike, mm. but it, it, it kind of marked me in my memory. Mm. And I felt that was the time that I committed my life to Christ. Yeah. And uh, my parents, because of the missionaries and everything else, from seven years old, we were encouraged to read the Bible every day. Gosh. Three chapters every day, five on Sunday. And so I did that. And um, that stuff kind of, when you're that young, it kind of goes quite deep, doesn't it? Yeah, Even yeah. if you don't necessarily understand it I all didn't always time. enjoy it then. No. You know, working through Ezekiel or Isaiah <laughs> or Leviticus. And I'm like, what? And there were times I kind of skim read something. And, of course. And there were other times I was engrossed in the story. Yeah. But it actually does something inside of an mm. individual that's feeding on God's word. And, and it sort of, you end up finding actually, planting that stuff earlier on, you can draw on later yep. on in life yep. it's sort of it's there it's in the and, memory and, banks. and when my parents left their parents home and it wasn't under great circumstances it was because of their faith that they were um kind of the door was locked and they weren't allowed in mm. i was the first one home on that day and i couldn't get into the house wow. it was a i won't go through the whole experience because mm. uh, i there's no accusation against my relatives now we're all mm. on good terms and yeah. my granddad's gone on to be with the lord yeah. he gave his life to oh, the wow. lord before he died Gosh. But that it was painful at seven, and, mm. and I found myself that my my faith in Christ was becoming real. Uh, I had a hunger for God, and just like my dad wanted to be in meetings, I had this drawing to want to hear people speaking about Jesus. Mm. Um, from uh, there was seven or eight years when we left that house, there was no television in our home, so my dad's library of little short library book, um, revival stories, biographies. Um, some tapes as well. I found that as my entertainment because there's nothing else to do. Um, And that started to awaken in me a desire. Could God do some of these stories again? Mm. And in a way, that leads us on to where you find yourself now, um, pastoring All Nations Church in in Wolverhampton. What was the process that took you to that? What was quite a a relatively small church at the time, a small Pentecostal church in 2001. What was the process that led you to feel this is the place God wants me? Let me take you one step back. Mm. Um, When I was 13, I led a friend to the Lord, Mm. my age. I led another friend to the Lord. Then his brother came to the Lord, then another brother. Before I knew it, there was like 14 young men meeting in my home uh, every Wednesday night. And I would kind of, these are all kind of, you know, sounds weird to say, like disciples or whatever. And I, I was like, I want to get these, these young men fired up for God. And for a whole year, we met every week. Uh, one of them could play the guitar, so we would sing a few songs. Um, I would attempt preaching. Uh, I would give them all scripture memory to do. Great. So um, I used to type them on a typewriter, little cards with the reference on mm. one side and the scripture on the mm. other side. And after about a year of doing that, my youth leader realized I had this group of young men. He said, why don't you bring those young men? We all attended different churches, but met in my home on a Wednesday. Why don't you bring them and do a youth meeting? Mm. And the short story would be, before I knew it, we were an organization called Christian Warriors. We learned drama, dance, mime. And on weekends and our half terms, we were traveling around the UK doing schools work and youth work, wow. open air work and evangelism. And I did that from when I was 13 right the way through till I was 27. So it just kind of exploded. We were right the way through. I remember when we were 16, for example, uh, final year of GCSEs. And in our half term in the October, we were invited by a church in Wales to go and do a week of schools work. So it was our half term. They, their schools were back. And uh, I remember the look of shock on the pastor's face when we pulled up, <laughs> driven by a volunteer from our church, as as the ministry team. They'd seen a brochure that we'd produced, yeah. but didn't realize we were all still school kids <laughs> ourselves. And so those were my teenage years. And so to take it towards the church, I had started after like more than 10 years of this to get frustrated with just itinerating. Mm. And I, obviously the Lord has changed in my heart and I felt the Lord saying, you will touch the world, but you're going to do it from a local base. Mm. I didn't then have a theology for church, mm. uh, which today is much stronger. And I understand yeah. community and the importance of being rooted in a local church and really reaching the world from that um, so authentic community, accountable lives, all of that kind of stuff mm. I didn't realize then. But you learn it on the journey, don't Absolutely. you, very often? And, yeah. and that's the thing is God can use just raw enthusiasm. Yeah. Obviously, we make mistakes. I'm sure you made plenty of them oh, when you were huge young. Huge amounts, yeah. <laughs> but, but nothing quite replaces 
just just having that passion and that yeah. zeal yeah. even if it's kind of a bit you know it can go off wrong sometimes yeah. but there's something about young people just running with absolutely. something absolutely so all nations was already my home church yeah. i'd been there since 92 and so by 2001, the way circumstances evolved, the leadership team asking me to become the senior pastor. They've been without a pastor since 97. And then one of the elders had taken a steer for a while, but had spoken to me, said, I really think you should lead this. And, mm. and uh, really paved a way for me to take yeah. the leadership from 2001. And uh, I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was just excited. I was 27 years old, and I yeah. thought, man, I'm going to change the world. We'll save our city, then we'll move on to the world. That was the kind of mentality. Why not? Yeah. Aim big, so, you know. Uh, but I, I always say I hit a wall. I right. hit three walls. Okay. I hit the wall of my own immaturity. Mm-hmm. I wasn't everything I thought I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I was far more immature. And as a traveling evangelist, I had about four really good messages. <laughs> and I could preach him for about three or four and months. And that was fine when you're going to different places. Absolutely. But when so, you're in one place. So every three or four months, I'd get another <laughs> message. Yeah. And I maybe so. And now I'm preaching every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. And there was a Bible study on a Thursday. And I'm like, wow, wow. this is so much work. Yeah. And I'm with the same people week in, week out you can't just try and get them fired up everywhere so you've got to go on a journey with people huge huge learning curve for me i also hit the wall of their immaturity i i really thought all church people excuse me were like real lovers of jesus and they would do anything i say and we're gonna they're gonna be a great family i didn't realize that we're all broken Um, i just thought i was a bit broken i didn't realize everybody (laughs) was a bit broken so i hit that immaturity and and that was tough as a 27-year-old yeah, yeah. to handle some of the church politics. Uh, and then the third wall I hit, there's obviously a very real enemy that doesn't want mm. us to succeed in our fruitfulness mm. in serving Jesus. So it was an interesting start into yeah. church I'm, life. I'm sh- and I'm sure there were some really bumpy points along the road. Absolutely. How, how did you kind of come through that? Because you were very wet behind the ears, you know, just learning really what the realities of ministry mm doing it in that local community, journeying with a bunch of broken people, as we all are. Um, was there a point at which you felt like, actually, yeah, God's doing something new here. God's taking mm. something and starting to grow. So I, I think pretty much from day one, we started to see growth. Mm. So even though those challenges, um, the church was growing mm. year on year, mm. financially and numbers. Mm. So that's an encouragement. Yeah. So when you see the building filling up and then you move to two services on a mm. Sunday morning and we eventually moved out into the city hall because the right. church was too small. The problem was I, I don't think I was building church correct. Okay. So I was attracting a crowd, but mm. we weren't great at discipleship. Yeah. We weren't great at raising leaders, and I didn't know how to do that. And, and so we became more of a preaching point yeah. rather than a local church right. that was discipling and empowering. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's as, kind of about turning that crowd into a community, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that takes time, and it and it also means that the people with you are on the same page. Mm. And I guess in my uh, youthfulness and perhaps immaturity, I didn't know how to help those people catch what I could see. Mm. And so by 2009, we, we were big in number, but we weren't strong, and um, I wouldn't mm. say we were a, a, a real Bible church. Okay. What what um, changed then? Uh, a major of people in two thousand and nine. Mm. Um, a, a real division amongst uh, my top leaders, right. uh, myself and them. Um, I think we were all good people. We all mm. love Jesus, and uh, I, I think there was differences in the way we operated and worked. And I guess I. I think I was immature in those times. I mm. think there's immaturity in all of yeah, us. Yeah. So it led to a breakdown. Okay. And uh, by God's grace, you know, I remained in leadership. Mm. We did lose a number of people during mm. that period of time. It was one of the most painful experiences of my whole life. I can imagine. And if we were speaking privately, I would tell you a lot more. Of course. Uh, but it, uh, enough to say it was really painful. Yeah. I, I said and did things I shouldn't have. Others said and did things they shouldn't have. But I came out the other end, I think, a better person, broken mm. and having to lean on God and asking myself a lot of questions. Mm. And uh, I didn't know how this would happen, but it gave me the opportunity, by God's grace, to start to rebuild in a different way. And so it, then I was intentional about how and what we were building. Yeah. Lots that you've packed in there, yeah. a big story. And I'm sure there's, there's so much more that could be said. Just before we go to our first break, 
if someone was coming today on an average Sunday morning to All yep. Nations, what, what can they expect? What's the kind of flavour of what you do mm. on a Sunday morning? What are you doing to encourage and inspire and, and bring people along that journey? My, my desire would be that you come in, there's a very warm welcome and you feel like you're with the family. Mm. Um, none of us think we're perfect. So we use the language. We are dysfunctional, mm-hmm. but we're all on a journey to become more like Christ and anybody is welcome here. Mm. We pursue the presence of Jesus as a high, high value. Mm. So in our worship, we try not to sing songs. We try to worship him. Right. Um, and then in the preaching of his word, at the same time, we want that to be relevant to... It's from the Bible, but it's relevant for our lives today. Um, and we will look for ways to allow people who come in to engage with God and his word and the family that are there. So there's a lot of small groups running. There's a lot of ways to yeah. engage. Great stuff. Um, I want to ask about your family as well uh, in the next section of today's program. But uh, it's been great hearing how things started out for you and your family and about All Nations. We'll continue to dig in as well in the next part of today's program to a couple of the books you've written. Rouse the Warriors is one of the books by Steve Uppel, who's my guest today on The Profile. And uh, we're talking to him about his uh, Sikh background, about All Nations, uh, the church in Wolverhampton that he leads, and the All Nations movement. This is something that is very much expanding and growing in various ways. Uh, you're listening to me, Justin Briley. We was talking to Steve today on The Profile. And uh, again, if you want to uh, hear this again uh, via our podcast that's available wherever you get your podcast from just look for the profile from premier and equally uh, do make sure to check out premier christianity magazine who are the people behind this program as well uh, if you want a free sample copy of the latest mag premierchristianity.com slash free sample i'll be continuing my conversation with steve uppel in just a moment's time here on the profile Good news, we've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription by the 14th of September and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the second half of today's programme. I'm Justin Briley talking to Steve Uppel in the uh, profile today. And if you want to hear more interviews with interesting Christians from all walks of life, uh, the podcast is available wherever you get your podcast from or find it online at premierchristianradio.com slash the profile. And don't forget while you're online to check out our sister magazine, Premier Christianity magazine, for a free sample copy of the latest edition of the mag that's at premierchristianity.com slash free sample it's always a huge pleasure to meet people uh, and hear their life story here on uh, the profile steve uppel um, was born into a family with a sikh background and we heard in the first half of today's program how uh, his parents were converted quite a radical conversion in that sikh community and steve himself grew up in the christian faith because of that uh, his own commitment at a young age and his ongoing ministry uh, which led us up to sort of the point we got to where we were talking about your mm. your current ministry uh, pastoring All Nations Church in Wolverhampton. But we haven't heard about your family mm. yet um, as well, Steve, because um, you've got four kids. I, I do. I can imagine. Four kids, one wife. Four kids, one yeah. wife, and a church to lead. I'm sure yeah. it's a, a busy, hectic life. Um, tell us a little bit about, about your family. Um, I'm married to Esther. We actually went to the same high school. Oh, wow. uh, we didn't uh, really go out in high school at all. But then um, after I had left, the year after I left, her family joined the church I was in, which is actually All Nations. Yeah. Um, we started to get to know one another and uh, we ended up getting married. And I think uh, the next anniversary we will celebrate 22 years of wow. being married. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's been a great journey. Uh, she's my best friend and, and God's blessed us with four kids. Mm. Um, my oldest daughter, Bethany, has just started a second year at university. Uh, she's studying law. My next daughter, Dan Sophia, is doing a final year's uh, uh, doing A-levels. And uh, Joel, uh, who's 15, is in his final year of GCSEs. And Judah is 13 and just uh, a great delight. They're all a great delight. I'm sure it comes with challenges, though, sort of having a dad who's very involved in church ministry Mm. and and sort of growing up in that environment. I think there are unique 
pressures on what are sometimes mm. called PKs, pastors' yep. kids, aren't there? How, how do you kind of try and balance the sort of the personal family life, the pressures of church and ministry? And yeah, so on? I, I actually, I was texting a friend yesterday who's in the States. He had watched a video my daughter had posted online. And uh, he was just saying to me, well, then we're raising your kids well. Um, and I, how have you done it was his question. And I just text back. I said, well, I've got to say it's God's grace. If your kids turn out well, it's God's grace. <laughs> yeah. um, but Esther and I have sought to put family before ministry. Right. Um, so mealtimes, uh, phones mm. are off. Mm. I aim to be home every day uh, unless I'm somewhere else in the world or traveling. I aim to be home from the office by about five. That's great. Um, yeah. I, I could shoot over because there's yeah, always yeah. more demands and more yeah, work yeah. than you can yeah. get done in a day. So we always sit down, have a meal together. Um, and we take even more time on a Sunday night and on a Monday night. Mondays are on my day off. So, and, and I think that's a really pressing point because I think history, sadly, is littered with stories yeah. of, quote unquote, successful churches and church yeah. leaders. But then things go off the rails on the personal life. And, yeah. and that can very often then kind of mar the whole impact of their yeah, actual it, ministry. It hijacks well. the ministry, yeah. doesn't it? Sabotages yeah. the ministry because something in the family didn't work out. Yeah. So putting family first is, is Yeah. We didn't important. really know what we were doing if I'm honest. No. I think you Again it's God's grace, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, before you have kids you've got strategies. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe four strategies on parenting and after you've had kids you've got four kids and no strategy. <laughs> So we've we've always sought to put the Lord first, mm. and I think putting God first is different to ministry first. Right. By God first, it means my relationship with Him and seeking to live by the way that He would want me to live. Love, love my wife, love my kids, look after my home. I'd, I'd like to grow old, and my wife still loves me, <laughs> and my kids are proud of me, and they still love me. Yeah. The ministry stuff, I enjoy it. I know it's a call from God, and I give myself to it with everything I have. But I somewhat, in some ways would think I've failed if I fail with Esther or if I fail with mm, the kids. Yeah. And, and yet it's hard to maintain that kind of way of thinking all the time because mm. life happens, yeah. diaries get busy, yeah. sometimes you neglect what you shouldn't neglect. Mm. So we find constant adjustments yeah. are really, really helpful. And um, a lot of grace and lots of grace, forgiveness and absolutely. everything else Loads needed. of conversation. Yeah. Um, I try and be fully present with the kids. I could do so much on parenting because it's uh, <laughs> a few years ago I did a program with Anne Robinson for BBC oh, on yeah. parenting. Mm. And uh, so, and if anybody wanted to know more, I did a <laughs> vlog for about two years. Oh, great. Most of it's on, it's on YouTube, Steve right. or Paul doing life, but you, I haven't done any videos for the last right. year. So, yeah. but if you wanted to see how we do family, you see us around the table. Yeah. Um, I, I used to date my kids like once a week, a oh, different great. child, That's nice. just one-on-one time, a walk, a coffee, whatever. All of that helps to build. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah really on the train of... coming in today, after yeah. that person yeah, yeah. had left the train, um, I actually bought some writing paper with me um, because my daughter at university, a habit I started a year ago was while she's at university, I write to her every week. Gosh. So I just, it's different to an that email or a lovely, text. It's lovely though. It's yeah. very intentional and it's the kind of thing you And I found kind of she now writes back, even though we text every day, yeah. writing a letter is a way of connecting that's different. And I'm sure, yeah, you kind of get to the deeper stuff in a letter, yeah. don't you? Then, and so those kind of little habits yeah. are really important for wow. me. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. Um, Let's talk about the book, um, Rouse the Warriors, A Prophetic Call to Boldly Advance the Kingdom. Mm. Um, this book starts actually with a vision you had. Can you describe what happened? Yeah, 1999. I'm with a friend um, ministering in a church. And I've ne- I'd never had a vision. Uh, I don't think I'd had any major encounters with the Lord. I'm filled with the Spirit. I loved His presence. I knew how to encounter Him in worship. But in that church on that day, uh, I've... I had a vision, uh, and in the vision, I saw a large field. It was like numerous fields, many, many fields, and it was filled with people. Um, I instinctively knew that the people represented the church. Uh, I saw that there were people that were standing in groups, people that were on their own. Some were worshipping, some were talking together, some were upset, some were independent, some were sitting down, some were standing up. It's it such a diverse group of people. And it struck me, everybody's doing what they want to be doing. Then my attention was taken onto a hillside. I'm giving you the short version here. Mm. The attention taken to a hillside. There's an angel standing on the hillside and the angel lifts up a trumpet, huge angel, and begins to blow. And a strong sound came out of that trumpet. And I knew it was a wake-up call for the church, that the Lord was asking the church to stop doing what it was doing and to pay attention to what heaven was saying. 
It was a call to uh, listen. It was a call to down our own agenda, put it down, and to pay attention, to hear what God is saying right now. And I'm giving you the short version. For me, it was like a striking alarm. There was an urgency in there. I felt like this is so important. Everybody needs to give their attention to what the Father is saying right now. Mm. And I, I watched different responses in the crowd. Some people were so engrossed in their thing that they never even looked up to give attention. They just totally ignored or didn't Mm -hmm. hear Mm -hmm. the alarm that was going off. Other people were engrossed in what they were doing, but they heard the alarm, they looked up, they knew that the Lord was trying to get their attention, but they didn't pay too much attention. Instead, after a a few seconds, they looked down again and Mm -hmm. carried on with what they were Mm -hmm. doing. Then there was a third group of people. They looked up, they immediately recognized this is important, They stopped what they were doing, and they fully gave their attention uh, to what heaven was asking from them at that time. And here's what I noticed. The people that, if if you like, they were saying yes, Mm. and they were saying what you're saying is more important than what I'm doing right now. I guess it's important to say what everybody was doing wasn't necessarily wrong. Mm. It was just that God wanted their attention Mm -hmm. because he wanted them to live by what he was saying. And actually, for some of them, they went back to what they were doing, but with a renewed purpose and a passion. But for the people who said yes, looked up, downed everything, downed Mm. the tools, and they just looked straight ahead, I saw the sound of this trumpet go through the individual, and suddenly they grew in stature, in strength, and in size. Just by saying yes to the Lord, strength was imparted and a new grace was imparted. And as I'm in this church having this vision, I felt the Lord saying to me, I have called you, like this is now 20 years ago, Mm. I have called you to blow a trumpet in the nations of the world and to raise up an army uh, for these end days. I was also aware that I'm not the only one doing this, that God has many people Mm. that he has brought uh, up for such a time to help prepare his church for these days. And that's kind of been the vision that sort of fired you ever since to sort of say, I want to listen for what God's doing. Yes. And not kind of just be so engrossed in my... Absolutely. Even the good ministry that I might be doing can still actually ironically distract us from Absolutely. from what god wants yeah. us to do and, and there's such a pressure yeah. as a young pastor well i think i'm young 44 i, I, I maybe i'll say that when <laughs> you, you can 54. you can still call yourself young That's there's fine. so much peer pressure because if you go on social media um my peer group are tweeting how big their church is tweeting how many people gave their lives to christ tweeting a new building facebook in this where they're going what they're doing it's so easy to get caught up in that and then for me uh, mm-hmm. i guess others may not struggle with it is the challenge that I now want to live up to that measure rather than hearing what God is saying. And so I have to remind myself, Lord, I live for the eyes of one. Mm -hmm. What do you want from me? And so I I want to be in friendship with others, and I'm not not saying they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. I'm just going to be careful of my own heart. You've really got to guard the motives for for what you're doing. Absolutely. Otherwise, I find myself running with other people trying to do what they're doing and i may not be called to do what they're doing yeah so yeah and you uh, soon find that's when burnout happens isn't it you, yeah. you sort of, so so you talk about it you know having a sense that this this was about the end times i mean mm. that phrase kind of gets banded around a yeah bit. do you actually think we are kind of living in a in some sense the last days some kind of mm. end time scenario that that christ is going to be returning soon uh, i do believe that but I would also say the last 2,000 years have been end times. <laughs> I think it was Martin Luther. Um, you know, we celebrated the Reformation, 500 yeah. years of the Re- Reformation last year. Um, he said, you know, it, one of the quotes I read about him was saying that if, if Christ doesn't come back in the last 100 years, he'd be very surprised right. uh, in the next 100 years. Right. And he was so devastated at what was happening in the world around right. him. What was it? He was convinced the Lord is coming back. In that sense, every generation has has seen it as being almost imminent. I guess why... So I don't have a time frame, is what I'm trying to say. But listening to prophetic words that have come out over the last 50 years, Mm. um, I think Charles Spurgeon used to say, you need to read the Bible and the newspaper together. Uh, This sense of looking at the times and looking at what God is saying, uh, perhaps these are very, very urgent times. And I don't know whether you're willing to sort of stake anything on it, but the... There's a sense in which you could say the times are changing faster than they've ever changed yes. before. You look at the, you know, in Martin Luther's day, the printing revolution was the yep. thing that was kind of the. Now, our revolution is the digital technological revolution. Yep. 
everyone's connected now. You yeah. know, a message can go around the world literally in seconds. Yes. And there's a sense in which the, what that's happening, the good, the bad, the challenges on our young people, it all kind of, there's a, it does feel sometimes like a powder keg. There's, there's yeah. things could go off at any moment. Absolutely. And there's been numerous prophecies about a billion soul harvest at the end. Not from me, mm. uh, but since the 60s, 50s, 60s, significant prophets from around the world have given this prophecy. And all of a sudden you realize loads of people have said this. Mm. Um, I think the, you know, the, the, I, I could go through a prophetic journey and say, well, I actually think we're really close. Mm. I think it's dangerous to get too into that. But I live my life as though it could be any, any year or any decade soon, if that makes sense. How do, you, how do you sort of live in the light of a prophecy like that? How do you hold it in a sense? Do you, do you, you know, it sounds crazy on yeah. the face of it, a billion souls, what, yeah. what are you talking about? What, what, what do you do with something like that? How does that inform what you do today? Uh, if I, th- like? I think one of the ways that I'm wired is I like to know the big context and I like to know where I fit into the big context. So inevitably, whenever I preach somewhere, especially for the first time, I start by setting a prophetic scene. These are the days we're in. This is what God's been saying. So even for me right now, I look at my life. 2012, the Lord spoke to us really clearly uh, as a, over a six-month period saying the greatest harvest the U- UK and Europe has ever seen is about to come. You need to get ready. For six months, we were just excited that he kept mm-hmm. saying this to us in different ways to different mm-hmm. people. After six months, I felt the Lord rebuke me and saying, even though you keep rehearsing what I'm saying, you're not changing anything. Right. My word to you is get ready, prepare. But you're not preparing, you're just rehearsing the prophecy. And I think the church has been very good at hearing what God is saying. But every prophecy is an invitation to partner with God and to change something. And the Lord spoke to us and said, I want you to start behaving like an apostolic movement. I want you to start building bigger people. Uh, build a bigger facility, which we did two years ago. Um, and th- there's one other thing. But we, we had these words. So what we then did was, okay, this is going to happen. What do we need to do to get ready for what God is about to do? Mm. And uh, currently, over the last few weeks, months, I felt the Lord say, help usher in a move of God through prayer, through consecration, through calling on him. Usher in a move of God, steward it well so you don't make it about yourself. You don't try and make money from it. You don't try and use your name to be glorified in it. Steward it well, keep your hands off what God is doing. And then thirdly, build structures to handle the harvest. That's why through the movement, we're helping churches get healthy, planting churches, repurposing churches, um, right the way across UK and beginning to into Europe. Really, it's ready for what God is about to do. And you haven't used the word yet, but what you're describing sounds a lot like what a lot of people would call revival. Um, And that's, again, a word that's been around for a while. And people have said it's coming. No, it's not here yet. What does it look like? How should we prepare for it? Are you saying you genuinely do believe, actually, that there is going to be a revival in the UK within our lifetime? The kind that is on the scale of those revivals we hear of old, the Welsh revival, the yeah. you know revival in East Africa, those kinds of level of revival? Uh, I would say absolutely yes. Right. So I, I was away for a month in August just a few weeks ago, and I'd, because of the time difference, I was up earlier than normal, quiet at home. Morning after morning, the Lord would remind me, primarily, Steve, you are not, I, I love church, I'm a church builder, you are not primarily a strategist, a leadership person, because I do those things. He said, primarily, you are called for revival. And so give me more of yourself, consecrate yourself, become a gateway. And since I've been seven or eight, those books I read on my dad's shelf were the Welsh Revival, Mm -hmm. the Indonesian Revival. Mm -hmm. And since those days, I've read many revival stories and my heart has ached for God to move again, not in renewal only or refreshing for the church. And I'm not against that. Mm. But when revival really comes, it transforms society. Many come into the kingdom. The communities around the churches get changed. In recent renewals, that hasn't always happened. And so I do believe we're, on, we're up for something on the scale of a Welsh or an Azusa Street or a Hebridean revival again. And we can just pray and hope that that is it. I think the thing is that oftentimes we've been guilty as a church of wanting revival but at no particular cost to ourselves. Yeah. And, and we haven't kind of put in the work to prepare for that. And that's what yes. you're saying is if we want to see the harvest, we sort of have to sow the seed and get the ground ready yes. for it. Yes. So what, what are the practical ways in which you're trying to see that happen through the All Nations movement? And, yeah. and obviously, what would you like to see other churches in the UK doing to, mm. to, to 
see that happen too. I, I think when I was younger, I thought when revival comes, it's just going to, everybody's going to be on the streets, God's going to move, we're going to have meetings night after night, and we'll just wait till it happens and let's see. As I've got older, I've realized revival can spoil you, mm. not just bless you. Right. Revival has destroyed people who weren't ready mm. for it. Mm. It is a supernatural moving of God. There's never a revival without corporate prayer taking mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. So at All Nations right now, we have about 130 hours of prayer every week, wow. more than 90 prayer leaders. Within the next two months, three months, it'll be 24-7. We're not the only ones doing that. I'm told there are now more than 20,000 24-7 prayer hubs, rooms around the world. So it's a phenomenal movement. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. That's a sign of the end times. Mm. Um, so prayer, I think going back to New Testament lifestyle in the way that we live. So I live in the UK like you do. It's so easy to get caught up in, uh, in the entertainment, in the materialism. How do I live today like a New Testament believer? Mm. Asking that question, trying to answer that question, being fully Christ's, his lordship, not just his saviorhood. We wrestle with that and we try and live lives that look like Jesus. And then... Um, uh, what we're beginning to do, I don't think just great church structures is going to handle the harvest. We need disciples, true disciples. Mm. So we're going to help people become who God wants them to be. So taking away everything from a church leader, so everything sits on me as a pastor. No, we want to empower as many people as we possibly can. Uh, I could talk about consecration, yeah. a prayer life. There's so much in there, but we're, we're, we're really working to make those things that we live by every day. Mm. And and it's ultimately it's not just about having churches that could handle potentially um, numbers of people. It's yep. about the individuals who make up those churches being ready to disciple, pastor. Yep. Begin our churches, programs start, will yeah. not be able to handle what's coming. Right. But if our people are ready, they could handle what's coming. Mm. So the only way to really handle the harvest, yes, we're looking at how to build church and how to structure church, but it's really people. I mean, I almost wonder whether sometimes the fact we haven't seen revival in the way many people have wanted and, and yearned for it is just because we're actually not ready for Absolutely. it. We, we, we couldn't handle yeah. if it happened kind yep. of thing. Yep. I would agree. I heard somebody say years ago that revival runs on the twin tracks of the sovereignty of God, but also the willingness and the preparation of the people that he's going to use. So they both come together. It was two years ago. I was in a church uh, up north preaching, and during the worship, the Lord spoke to me so clearly uh, about the Wesleyan revival and what happened there. I've read Wesley's biographies a few times and also the Booth kind of move with the Salvation yeah. Army. And people forget because those kind of became established mainline denominations, yep. people kind of forget the uh, the, the raw power Absolutely. that yep. was going on. In they those, were offensive, in those they were radical, yeah. they're going back to the roots. And I felt the Lord whisper to me, I'm going to do it again. And if people get kind yeah. of turned off or anything by charismatic stuff in today go and see what was happening in wesley's meetings absolutely you know it, 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 yep. yeah, that puts st- stuff to shame you know the people yep. kind of being struck down being kind of overcome by the spirit it's it's this yep. isn't just a kind of a new fad in that no, sense. absolutely and the culture in their day was just as dark as mm. the culture in our day yeah and so which tells me hey it's a great time for god to move um it's exciting stuff what what makes you know that it's not just steve Uppel with his kind of you know this vision that you've had what makes this something you, you genuinely believe is is something that's being shared across this country yeah, by other... I, I, I shared one of those signs is mm. that you know 30 years ago um the research done by ihop on one of the prayer houses in kansas mm. city they found that there was about five to seven to eight prayer hubs around the world that were praying 24 7 they did the same research about 18 months ago and came back conservatively they said just over ten thousand. But if they were going by the numbers that they really thought they collected, they said over 20,000 places on the earth that are praying 24-7. But all different streams, all Mm. different denominations, Mm. from a few people in a house to big centers with a few hundred people praying regularly. I don't think anybody could orchestrate that except the Holy Spirit. And I think it's in the book of Acts and in Amos, uh, Acts quotes Amos, that the tent of David would be restored in the end days. David's tent was a tent that was built, I think, for 33 years, 24-7 prayer and worship going up with 4,000 musicians and poets Mm. and singers. Well, I feel the Lord's raising that again all over the earth. Mm. So that's one of the signs. I think unity amongst churches is another sign. Mm. Um, Some of the work that the Evangelical Alliance have done in collating data through Gather, is a, and mm. they've done that. There's more than 130 unity movements in the UK. 
Mm. Nobody's orchestrated them like together. Mm. It's just God having orchestrated. So we have that in Wolverhampton, different streams, different denominations coming together to work together. I think when you get prayer, when you get unity, and then thirdly, the emphasis on mission I'm beginning to see, uh, right there across the denominations, church planting movements, uh, this rise, I don't know if you're aware of so many street evangelists, mm. young people, cool people who mm. just are operating on words of knowledge or going out healing on mm. the streets. N- again, no human orchestrating. It, it just seems to be the Holy Spirit mm. getting the church ready for mission. So apart from all the prophetic words, just seeing the increase in prayer, yep. uh, increase in unity and increase in mission, I think is a sign God's up to something. Yeah. So, well, as I say, we just pray that... that that can happen i mean at the end of the day this all comes down in the end to to individuals who are changed and then go mm. out and change the world i don't know if you've got any stories of of where you've seen that happen in a very real way in your experience leading yeah. a church um because i'm i'm sure you get excited when yeah. you see lives let, get let me tell you one quick story yeah. of a, a young man that came into one of our services he, he had just come out of rehab uh, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't mind his name being told because he's he shared it on other places. His name's Rob. He's from a Sikh background, and uh, he was quite religious growing up, but also quite dysfunctional uh, in terms of he was an addict. He, he was on drugs and alcohol, just very, very bad lifestyle. He'd been into rehab numerous times and not really done very well. This time he went and he wanted to make a go of his life. He came out of rehab. He'd been clean for a while. So he'd been on cocaine and uh, like spirits. Somehow he found himself in our church through a relative, and he's in the church. He hears me preach, and he knows he needs to respond, but doesn't want to respond. But he said, before I knew it, I'm standing to my feet when you gave the appeal. And he said, and I'm, he said, I'm shaking like jelly. He's a hard guy. Like if I told you he used to carry a hammer in his pocket for ready for a fight, and he'd wow. been to kind of uh, court and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he said, as I walked to the front, it was like there was waves that went over me. And every wave took away my shame, took away my guilt. Uh, everything wrong I had done, I felt it being washed away from me. So that was like a few years ago. And today he's a strong part of our church house. He's helped us to build our work in India. He's been really instrumental in that. And he's, he's a really, really good friend of mine. From that one conversion, I think there were 18 different people in his family over the next six months that gave their lives to Christ. And. In a way, revival is seeing that happen yep. many, many times over. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just one story. His wife yeah. got saved not long after that. His dad got saved not long after that. His mom got saved. Uh, you know, siblings, then extended family. So, and and that's I guess what you're about is just letting the power of God kind of run loose in Absolutely. that way uh, yeah. in our nation. The Holy Spirit is irresistible if we would move out the way. It's been so good talking to you, Steve. I've really enjoyed it. Um, God's blessings on what you're doing. Um, and if people want to get involved in what All Nations are doing, the, the movement itself, mm. where, where can they go? What can they do? Very simple web address, allnations.org.uk. And you can find out more about the movement or the church in Wolverhampton at that address. Fantastic. Do get a copy as well of uh, Steve's books as well. Uh, they will inspire you. Rouse the Warriors. A prophetic call to boldly advance the kingdom, that's one of them. Highly flammable is a 40-day devotional to reignite your passion for God. Um, Steve, thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much for having me on the program. It's been great to have you. You've been listening to The Profile with me, Justin Briley. If you want to listen back to today's show, pass it on to someone else. Do go online and check it out there at premierchristianradio.com slash The Profile, available, of course, wherever you get your podcast from. And don't forget to to find more interesting interviews with all kinds of Christian leaders in all walks of life from Premier Christianity magazine, premierchristianity.com. Thanks for being with me on today's show. Coming up next, the best bits from Premier from the past week.